If you will, turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we have been emphasizing revival. Now, you hear that word revival, and maybe you're wondering, well, what is revival? I'm sure that you've seen beautiful flowers with sharp colors that just jump out at you. And, and then you go out one day and they're droopy and they're a little bit wilted. They were still, they're still alive, but they certainly look sad, don't they? And then you give them a little water and they perk up and they flourish again. That's a picture of revival. That's a picture of personal revival and corporate revival. Now, you may be here today and and you're a little droopy as a Christian. You're not flourishing as a believer, but you are a believer. I want you to know that you can be revived. You can flourish again. And I want you to understand something today. It is God's will that every believer live a revived life. See, revival shouldn't be seasonal in our lives. Revival should be a consistent part of every believer's life. The Bible talks about revival explicitly and implicitly. In Psalm 85 verse 6, The Bible says, will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? In Psalm 51.10, David wrote, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You see that word renew? It's a synonym for revival. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 20 Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That little phrase, times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, brings clarity to this whole issue of revival. During our 40 days of fasting and prayer, I've preached sermons on prayer the Word of God, repentance, obedience, and making godly decisions. All of these sermons have been an integral part in helping you and and myself to understand what true revival is and what it takes to be revived and to live a revived life. Now, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, This may be one of the clearest verses in the Bible about the Christian life. And I think it's a clear expression of the revived life that you and I can have as born-again believers. Now, you got to remember when Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians, things were not necessarily going well in the church. They had begun well. They had been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But some false teachers infiltrated the church and began to teach a false message, a heresy. 
Do you know what that heresy was? That heresy was this. Faith in Christ alone is not enough to save you. And some of these believers bought that. You you see, these heretics were teaching not only are you saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, but you also have to keep the Jewish law in order to be saved and go to heaven when you die. Now, that is totally contrary to the teaching of the New Testament. But some have bought into it. I'll tell you what, believing something that's not true will cause your spiritual life to get droopy and to get absolutely um, mediocre, you might say. So I want you to understand, once again, that God's will for you is that you live the revived life. Now, in order to live the revived life, there's three things I want you to see in Galatians chapter th- 2, verse 20. First, and you've got to grasp these, these are keys to living the revived life. Number one, a new reality. A new reality. Look in chapter 2, verse 20. The Bible says, I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So the Apostle Paul says here, I have been crucified with Christ. That's a part of your new reality as a born-again believer. Now the verb here is perfect tense. It literally means that something happened in the past that has ongoing implications for your life as a believer in the present and the future. In Romans chapter 6, verses 6 to 11, Paul wrote, knowing this, that our old life was, here it is, crucified with him. That's what he says here in verse 20, right? Our old life was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. Verse 10 For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. I love verse 11 of chapter 6 of Romans. Listen to it. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So here is the gist of Paul's message here. He's saying if you're a born-again believer, he, he wants you to know that you're dead. Well, you look around and you you pinch yourself. I'm not dead, Pastor. But I want you to know from God's perspective, you are dead to the things of this world. You are dead to sin. You have been crucified with Christ. You've died to the power of the law. You've died to the power of Satan. You've died to the power of sin. And you've died to the power of death. And no longer do you have a right to live the way you want to live or to think what you want to think. You are under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You you are dead. The old you is dead. It's dead. 
Now, the revived life requires a clear move from the self-centered life to a Christ-centered life. Are you willing to die to your pleasures? Are you willing to die to your ambitions, to your desires? Are you willing to embrace Christ and all that means for you in the spiritual realm? So the Bible says you're dead. But wait a minute. There's a great paradox here in verse 20. Not only does the Bible say that you're dead, but the Bible also says you're alive. You say, well, pastor, how can I be both dead and alive? Because God says you can be dead and alive. That's, that's why. Because we're talking about the spiritual realm here. Look at this. He goes on to say here in verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So not only are you dead, but you're alive. You're alive. Jesus Christ is the essence of, of life for a believer. In Philippians 1.21, Paul wrote, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Picture this. Look, anything that happens to Jesus happens to you. Jesus was crucified. You were crucified. Jesus died. You died to sin, the power of sin, and, and all the stuff I mentioned a moment ago. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. You have been resurrected from the dead to new life in Jesus Christ. John Stott wrote this. He said, once we have been united to Christ in his death, our old life is finished. It's finished. It is ridiculous to suggest that we could ever go back to it. Besides, we have risen to a new life. In one sense, we live this new life through faith in Christ. In another sense, it is not we who live it at all, but Christ who lives it in us. And living in us, he gives us new desires for holiness, for God, for heaven. It is not that we cannot sin again. We can, but we do not want to. The whole tenor of our life has been changed. That's what Paul's driving at here in chapter 2, verse 20 of Galatians. So I ask you a question. Have you repented of your sin? Have you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Well, if you have, you need to understand that the living God has given you a brand new reality. Christ is your life. You died to the old person that you were. You're now alive in Christ Jesus to the new person he's created you to be. Listen, what does this mean for us practically, you say? Well, it means that you're justified by grace, not works. It means that you are freed from sin's penalty and power. It means, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that you're a new creation in Christ. You're a new person. It means you have a new Lord, according to Luke 9, 23. And it means that you have a new way to live, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Now, let me ask you a question. Why in the world would we, as born-again believers, 
want to go back and live the way we did before we became a believer. I, I can tell you this. I did some dumb stuff. And I don't ever want to go back and do that kind of dumb stuff ever again. I want to live to plead Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul wrote, My ambition is to please the Lord. I tell you, that's the new reality for all of us. Our ambition, because we're dead in Christ and we're alive in Christ, should be to please the Lord Jesus in everything we say and everything we do. So the first characteristic of a revived life is a new reality. I hope you understand that, and I hope you embrace it this morning, and you will embrace it in the coming days, weeks, months, years of your life. Remember this, it's not God's will for this new life in Christ to be seasonal. It is God's will that this new life in Christ be continuous in us. Now, here's a second key to the revived life. Not only a new reality, but a new power. A new power. Look at what Paul wrote here. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You, you see, you can swap your tired, worn out Christian life for a fresh, invigorating, new, abundant life in Christ. Why would we ever want that old mediocre life when we could have fresh, invigorating life in Christ? It all hinges on your recognition that the Lord Jesus Christ literally, and I mean literally, dwells within you by his spirit. I tell you, as a, as a believer, I was saved when I was 20 at Mississippi State, and one of the one of the remarkable things I learned early on was the, the, the power of the spirit of the living Christ within the Holy Spirit. I learned that I couldn't live the Christian life. Have you learned that you can't live the Christian life in your own power? I hope you've learned that. I learned it real quick because I failed a lot because I tried it. It doesn't work. And, and then I discovered this wonderful principle that the spirit of the living Christ, the Holy Spirit of God lives within me and has brought to me the, the provision of God's power to do things in me and through me for his glory and for his purpose. In Luke chapter 9 verse 23, the Bible says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I want you to understand that the, the measure of Christ's power that is released in your life is determined by the degree which you die to yourself. You, you see, as long as you want to do it your way, you're not going to experience the full complement of Christ's power within you. But when you decide, I've had enough of this, I've bloodied my nose too many times in the spiritual realm, I want to do it Christ's way. I want him to do in me and through me what only he can do in me and through me for his eternal glory. I, I tell you, to the, the degree to which you die to yourself, the degree to which you move from a self-centered life to a Christ-centered life determines the level of the power that you experience of the resurrected Christ within you. 
In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21, in Paul's prayer that's recorded here, I want you to notice some things. He said, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now, I want you to listen. According to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of God, love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Now to him who is able, don't you love that? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to, listen to this, according to the power that works where? Within us. What is that power? What's the power of the Spirit of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit? To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So our focus, if we're going to live the revived life, our focus has to be not upon what we can do, but upon what Christ can do in us and through us by his Spirit. And then he mentions faith. Notice Paul's next word, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You see, saving faith cannot be reduced to a one-time decision or event in the past. It is a living, dynamic reality permeating every aspect of the believer's life. You see, Paul knew that he was saved by faith. But Paul also knew that if he was going to be the apostle that Christ called him to be on the road to Damascus, he had to depend upon the the spirit of the living God who lived within him. Get this now. The Lord Jesus, don't, don't miss this. The Lord Jesus made no provision for you to live the Christian life in your power. Let let me repeat that. The Lord Jesus made no provision for you to live the Christian life in your power. As Paul had trusted Christ by faith for salvation, now he trusted Christ by faith for living the Christian life and for accomplishing the purpose that Christ had ordained for him. You see, the Spirit of Christ has the power to help you to love people it's hard to love. The Spirit of Christ has the power to help you forgive people who have hurt you. The Spirit of Christ has the power to give you the boldness to share the gospel with lost people. It's a truth you must embrace You see, as a born-again believer, you have a new reality. You have a new power. The revived life is God's will for you. You can do it with God's help. And here's the third key. You have a new motive. There's a new motive. 
Pay close attention to these words. Look at the last part here. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Motivation is a powerful thing. Motivation is powerful in the athletic realm. Motivation is powerful in the business realm. Motivation is powerful in every realm that we live our lives. I can tell you this. It's super important in the spiritual realm. Motivation. You say, well, pastor, why would I want to live this revived life that you've been explaining to us today? Why would I want to move from a self-centered life to a a Christ-centered life? I sort of like the way I'm doing things myself. I'll tell you, there's a motivation here for you. There's a motive here for you that will spring you loose from this idea and help you to move from a self-centered life to a Christ-centered life. What is that motive? Well, look at it. Jesus loved you. Now, let that sink in for just a moment. Jesus loved you before the foundation of the world. He loved you before you were created in your mother's womb. He loved you 2,000 years ago when he was living out his life on this planet and fulfilling every jot and tittle of the law on our behalf. He loved you. And can I tell you this? He loves you today. The Bible says if you're born again believer, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you realize that he loves you even when you blow it? Do you realize that he loves you on your best day and your worst day? Do you realize that he loves you all the time? He loves you. What an incredible truth. What what a motivation to move from a self-centered life to a Christ-centered life. And then here's another part of the motivation. Not only did he love you, he loved you, but he died for you. He died for you. He was willing to go to the cross of Calvary to be made sin for you, to take all of your sin to the cross of Calvary and spill his blood and offer his body as a sacrifice for your sin. I'm going to tell you what, that's love unlike anything we've ever experienced before in our lives. Jesus died for you. No impersonal force or cosmic law or external necessity compelled Christ to die. It was the love of God, unmerited, immeasurable, and infinite that sent Jesus to the cross not for his own sake, but for you, he endured the rigors of Calvary. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us 
And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me ask a question. How can we see such love and sacrifice on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ and turn our heads away from him and live like we want to live? How can we do that? I tell you, if the love of Christ and the death of Christ on our behalf is not enough to motivate us to live for him and to honor him with our life, the way we think, the way we talk, the way the actions of our life, I don't know what else could. It's the most powerful motivation in all of creation. So here's the truth for today. The revived life is God's will for you. I mean, for 40 days, if you've been working through that little book that we gave you, for 40 days we've been talking about personal revival, corporate revival, revival in your family. And I'm telling you folks, it is not God's will for this to be some kind of temporary thing in our lives. It is God's will that we experience revival on an ongoing basis, personally, corporately, and in our families. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, the Bible says, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has a Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So let me ask you a question. Have you turned from your sin and your self-motivating way of living your life, have you turned from that and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone? Here's another way to couch this statement. Are you saved? Are you saved? You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid there's a lot of people that have dumbed down this idea of salvation and they think that salvation is making a one-time decision, checking the box, getting baptized, hoping and praying that you'll go to heaven when you die and then living any way you want to live. That is not scriptural. That is not in the Bible. God expects us to live for him. So let me ask you a question. Are you saved? Now, in order to be revived, you have to have life. You have to have life. Are you saved? Have you been regenerated? Have you received this eternal life that only comes through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, I hope and pray that you will come to one of our staff members in just a moment and say, hey, I've got to be saved. I do not want to walk out of this church another day, another Sunday without being saved. So I'm going to ask our staff to come. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And we're going to move into a time of worship here in just a moment where you can respond to what God has shown you today. Now, I've got another question. Not only are you saved, 
But here's the second question for all who are believers in this room today. Are you like that droopy, wilting flower? Does that describe you spiritually? That's not God's will for you. God wants to refresh you with living water. He wants to refresh you so that you can flourish and be fruitful for his name's sake. Listen, there are three keys. Remember them. A new reality. Do you realize that there's a new reality? You're dead, but you're alive. You're alive in Christ. You're dead to the old way of life. Now you have a new way of life. The only way you're going to live a revived life is to live out that truth, that new reality. And then a new power depend upon the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and and a new motive, knowing that Christ loved you and he died for you on the cross. Man, what a motivation to live every day the revived life. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. I thank you so much for this amazing truth right here in one verse of scripture. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would move in our hearts today. And I pray that we would not settle for carnality. I pray that we would not settle for a a knockoff brand of Christianity. I pray that we would not settle for living anything but a revived life as believers. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would move in the hearts of those who are not saved. I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them of sin, draw them to the Lord Jesus and save them today. Oh God, please. Lord, we live in troublesome times. Our days on this earth may be numbered, not only by our own death, but by the coming of Christ. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would live with a sense of urgency. Oh God, whatever you need to do in our hearts this morning, do it for your glory. We love you in Jesus' name.